0: sister, I'm glad that he did, aren't you? Praise the Lord for that bridge. I'm glad I've crossed it. Amen. I'm glad it was there for me to cross. Uh, I didn't deserve it, but I'm glad he's took me in. Amen. I'll tell you, the Lord is good. He's gracious. He's merciful. I was reading in the Psalms today about his mercy. I'll tell you, if we didn't have God's mercy, we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? And uh, we get a little proud and think we're somebody. Boy, I tell you, we better realize that Uh, Whatever we are, we are by the grace of God. Amen. Well, I praise the Lord for you being here tonight. And I failed, I can't believe I've uh, missed doing this, but I want to thank you, my wife and I want to thank you for your monthly support for our missions ministry. And we uh, couldn't do what we do uh, without churches just like yours. And I can always look on my statement and I always see Victory Baptist on it. And I think about you folks and think about your dear pastor, his wife and boys, and I love them, I do, I really mean that. And uh, I thought when he first came to Bible college, first year I said he's going to make somebody a good pastor, amen. And he has, and I praise the Lord for him, I sure do. And I've, preacher, I heard somebody was telling me back in the back the other day, uh, the other night, that uh, you preached such a good sermon, the other Sunday, that was Sunday before last, you preached such a good sermon that you went to the foyer and signed your own Bible. Is that true? <laughs> Boy, that's when you preach a good one, any Brother daddy. <laughs> I've never got to sign one of my Bibles. i never preached one that good, but anyway. If you have anybody that you have a burden for that's unsaved and they're local, do everything you can. Now, I'm preaching to Christians tomorrow night, but I promise you, you'll understand why. You bring any lost person you can. you got a son or daughter or... Uncle or aunt or a grandchild or brother or sister or mom or dad or friend or neighbor or enemy It doesn't make any difference who they are Try to get them here tomorrow night And I know you don't have a lot of time But boy I tell you a phone call will make a difference sometimes Or just stop by and invite them or uh, however you can do it But uh, bring them tomorrow night if you would And I believe maybe the Lord might speak to their hearts Amen And uh, thank you sister for that uh, song and, and brother there you are Thank you for yours too I like that one I like them all Amen it's kind of like the Bible. I'd be in class and i say, boy, turn to this book. This is a great book. One boy, boy said, well, you say that about every book. I said, they are all great, aren't they? Let's turn to one of them, Matthew chapter 5 today. We're going to look at the latter part of that chapter. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount is this sermon, and, and, and I uh, <laughs> probably ought not call attention to it, but anyway... Uh, This was the longest sermon Jesus preached. Last night was the longest sermon I've ever preached, I think. And I appreciate some of you coming back tonight (laughs) in spite of it. Amen? But uh, it won't be that way tonight. My wife hates me to say that because when I do, it's usually not. But anyway, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, My goodness, can you imagine being there and hearing Jesus Christ, the Son of God, preach a sermon? I'm telling you, and, and I tell you, the Sermon on the Mount was a sermon that has things in it that was somewhat revolutionary in some ways, never to contradict the Old Testament Scriptures. Of course, we did, never did that, but just things that, we're going to look at one of them tonight that the Jews could not comprehend that Jesus taught them to do this. And it's something we're going to look at tonight that I'm, I I know we you make big claims, but I'm telling you, it'll change your life if you get a hold of it. It will change the way you live your life. Whether you're going to be a failure or a success, it'll help you, I promise you. Well, when you come to the first part of chapter uh, 5, Sermon on the Mount, of course, covers three chapters, 5, 6, and 7, and you you come to the Beatitudes. We're not preaching on them tonight, but uh, boy, I tell you, when, when Jesus is talking here about uh, He not only wants us to do something, but He wants us to be something. Amen? I know people that do things, but you know, being something, sometimes they're like me, they come up short. But, uh, of course, I come up short every day of my life. Amen? But uh, my wife said, I'm not short, I'm just low down. But I don't know if that's true or not. But if you want to be something for God, you got to have the right attitude. And that's why we call them the be attitudes. If you're going to be what God wants you to be, one of the things that will determine that is your attitude. And we're going to, uh, look at some things tonight that I trust. It'll help you. Uh, it uh, it'll cause you to see things different. You'll do things different. You'll do them for the for the for the right purpose and the right motive. Turn over to the last part of chapter five, and we're going to begin our reading in verse number. Let's begin in verse number thirty-eight. And Jesus here is referring to some things here that's going to. Uh, he, he deals with a lot of different subjects here. But let's just begin in verse 38 and you'll see what I'm talking about tonight. I want to preach to you tonight on being a second mile Christian. A second mile Christian. Look at verse 38. Jesus said, Ye have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now it was said in Deuteronomy 19 is where it was said. He said, You've heard that. It's not bad. It's okay. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at law, or as he takes you to court and sues you, and evidently he's the winner because he said, and he takes away thy coat. You know what Jesus said? He said, why don't you go ahead and give him your cloak too. Yeah, but I don't have to. The judge just said, the uh, he just said my coat. Jesus said, Well, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel, that word compel means to force or make, whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain or two. Give to him that asketh of thee, and from him that would bar thee turn not of thy way. Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Now, let me tell you, these are hard things to do that Jesus is saying. You've got to have the right attitude if you do them. Do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you, and persecute you. Now, I'm going to skip verse 45 right now, but I'm going to come back to it. For look at verse 46. He says, now, let me tell you something. He said, I want you to be different than the world. He said, if you love them which love you, in other words, if you love somebody who loves you, that's easy to do, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, if they love me, I'm going to probably in turn love them, okay? He said, if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. Now, the publicans, by Jewish estimation, were the sorriest, worst crowd in town. They were Jewish traitors, they called them, who had now gone to work for the Roman government, which all Jews just about hated, And they were collecting taxes and they took advantage of people and cheated and defrauded people of their monies. So they were hated and they were seen as the lowest of the lowest sinners. And Jesus said, well, even that kind of a sinner can do that. And then He said in verse number 47, And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye, underline the next word, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so?" And you know what He's saying? And this is the first point of my message, the problem Jesus was addressing. He's saying, You want to, you just want to do what the world does. You want to love people that love you. You want to just salute people that you know and speak to people you know. He said, You just want to do, you just want to do what even the publicans will do. Jesus said, I want you to live on a higher plane than that. You're a Christian, you've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. I want you to live a different life than what the world tells you to live. And so, and you know, we go back to verse 38, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You know, that's the standard of our culture today when you think about it. Hey, you hit me, I'll hit you back. (laughs) You get me, I'll get you back one day. You watch what I tell you. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You have a little scuffle going over there, two kids, and one kid hauls off and punches the other one in the face, and Mama sees it, grabs him and says, Don't you hit him? Don't you hit your brother? Well, he hit me first. So that gives me the right, amen, if he hit me first, to slug him back. And most of us think, yep, that's what you ought to do in life. But That's not what the Lord said. And I'm not talking about just kids, but in life. You see, we so operate like the unbelievers that sometimes they can't tell us apart. God said, I want you to have an attitude that you're going to live on a higher level uh, than the world does. Now, I want you to look at verse 41 because that's what we're going to preach on tonight. Amen? And I'm going to give you not only the problem he was addressing, but I'm going to give you the principle that he was using. And verse 41 is an interesting verse of Scripture. It's called the second mile principle. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile go with him twain or two. If somebody makes you go with, with them one mile, then just go ahead and offer to go a second mile. He's saying, do more than what's expected of you. Go beyond what your duty is. Go beyond what you're made to do. He said, go beyond that. Now, let me, let me just tell you, we live in a day when most people are living a life just to get by. I'm not talking about financially. I mean, they want to do better financially, but they just kind of... Well, I'm an average preacher, and they're kind of, kind of cruising along in life. I know young people that do that. I know older people that do that, but they just kind of cruising along. And and the Lord is saying here, listen, you don't want to be average. You want to do more than what's expected. If the law says do this, why don't you do more than that? I have a fella that's uh, at our church in our ministry, and I won't mention his name because. Brother Mike Miss Susan might know him. And uh, good man. I mean, he's a good man. Good family, good everything. You know, he's got a lot of good things going for him. But I'm going to tell you what, if you ask him to do something, he will do what you tell him every time. You say, well, praise the Lord. I'd like to have some people like that. But he won't do anything more than that. I mean, if you tell him to do this and you say, well, why didn't you do that while you were there? Well, you didn't tell me to do that. He only will do exactly what's expected of him and what you tell him to do. Now the sad thing is we don't we don't have too many examples of a second mile Christian, I fear, in our churches. You know, I remember when I was in high school, and I worked at a little. Uh, they didn't used to have these convenience stores; they had gas stations. Y'all remember them? And I remember the gas station I worked at in high school had a grill, hot dogs, hamburgers, that kind of thing. And I was cook and gas pumper, you know. We just did it all. And we had a little rubber cord run across there, so when they'd come up for gas, they'd run over that little rubber cord, and it'd go ding. We knew there was a car out there, so I had to quickly wash my hands. Well, no, I didn't wash them. I washed them when I come back in. And I went back out. I went out to the car, and when I walked up to the car, by the way, most of the time, they didn't even get out of the car. So I'd walk up to the car, and I said, yes, sir, how much? Fill her up, son, fill her up. Okay, good. And I knew immediately when I stuck the, the gas thing in, I had to go get the squeegee because I was going to wash his windshield. I always wash their windshield. Sir, you like me to check your oil? Yeah, man, go ahead and check the fluids too. And even in the battery, because used to the batteries, you know, had little screw-off things you could pour fluid in them. I mean, we check, listen, we check their oil, we check their battery, their brake fluid, and sometimes he, they'd ask us to check the air in their tires. All this when they just come to get gas. So go around, check all their their tires. I'm telling you, you know why? Why were you doing that, preacher? Because we wanted their business. And if you were going to get their business, you had to do more than the ones down the road was doing. Amen? And they'd come just so they could get that kind of service. I remember that. Now you drive up to a convenience store and expect them to come out and wait on you. You'll sit there and sit there and sit there, and then after a while, you just get out and do it, you know, you 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 can't, we know we don't sit there, but you get out and there's a little three inch by three inch sticker, pay inside. Now I got to go inside and pay the guy. You walk in, they got this young guy in there and he's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth and he's drooped all down, he's so lazy he can't hardly move, you know. And uh, I mean, he would, listen, if you blew your horn 20 times, you'd never get service. It's just a different culture we live in. It was different back. We didn't give green stamps. Amen. Any of y'all remember green stamps? I'm just saying the Lord Jesus is going to teach us a principle tonight. And I'm going to give you the background. And this will help you understand it. And you may already. But if you don't, I think it will open up your eyes to something. But this is a life-changing principle right here. I tell you what, D.L. Moody, this was D.L. Moody's, the great evangelist. This was the favorite verse he liked to preach on. Isn't that amazing? This little verse, verse 41 Whosoever shall compel, force, make thee go a mile, go with him the second mile. Somebody asked him and said, Mr. Moody said, How come you like to preach on that verse of Scripture? He said, Because if you don't get that right, there's a lot of other things you're not going to get right. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher from many years ago, and had uh, college where he trained preacher boys, and he would tell them, He said, Now on your preaching calendar, boys, at least, he said three times. But he said at least three times, put it on your calendar to preach from Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. He thought it was important that we get a hold of this great truth. Now, we got to go beyond what's expected of us. Now, I'm going to give you a couple examples tonight, and I hope you'll be listening. Why don't we just start with deacons? Amen? And I don't know who the deacons are. I don't care who the deacons are. I love deacons. Amen? I praise the Lord for deacons. They were a great help to me and a great blessing to me, and I'm sure they are here. Let me just tell you what we did back at our church. We would assign widows to deacons. And uh, we had numbers of widows, and we'd assign them one, depends on how many widows we had and how many deacons we had. We'd just divide them up. And uh, I said, Now you got to take care of these widows and make sure they're taken care of. Some of them have families that do a good job taking care of them, but we got to make sure they're taken care of. So here's what I told them I said, and, and, and most of them said, Well, I, if we got a big storm coming, big snowstorm coming. I just told them three or four weeks ago it was coming. They think it's coming. And uh, by the way, if you need me, call me. Well, that's that's not going the second mile. Let me tell you what going the second mile would do. Going the second mile would be you see them before the storm comes, and you say, Miss Jones, uh, we got a bad storm coming. Now listen, you got some kerosene in your heater. Uh, you out there in the tank make sure you're going to stay warm during this it's going to be a cold spell we may be in for three or four days and not even be able to get out uh, yes sir I, I i've got some i got some more do you need any groceries you need somebody to take you down and get you some groceries and go pick them up you're going to be all right and then when the snowstorm hits call them and check on them and then as soon as the snowstorm is over get you somebody if you're not able to do it get somebody to help you and go over there and shovel off the driveway and the and so they can get out of the driveway or out of the sidewalk or wherever and just do those things without being told or out without being asked by the widow lady. I'm just saying, Sunday school teachers, go the extra mile. I had, I had a Sunday school teacher. I tried to get him to get there on time. He just couldn't do it. I mean, they, be, Sunday school teacher, the best times you'll have with some of these boys and girls is before class and after class. And if you'll get there early, it's amazing. Them little kids will come to you. You'll learn things about their life. They'll ask you questions. You can talk to them and help them in ways. It's unbelievable. I, I used to, and God saved me. Uh, we hadn't been saved. I don't reckon in six months when we became... She became the junior girl Sunday school teacher, and I became the junior boys. Sunday school. Actually, we became assistants. And then both teachers quit. I don't know if we made them quit or not, but anyway, didn't mean to if I did. But anyway, we'd, get, we'd be the first ones at church other than maybe the preacher. Sometimes the preacher would beat us. Sometimes we were waiting on him. We'd get there early. I'd like to go there and get my classroom ready. I was so excited. I was just a young Christian in the Lord. But I was so excited. I had a bunch of junior boys. And I'm amazed at how God gave me a heart for those kids. And I wanted to be there with them. And some of the roughest ones would come in early. We didn't have a bus ministry, but there was a project right around us, a housing project. And they'd come in. And I'm telling you, I'm so thankful that God put into my heart to get up a little early and get down there and be there when they come in. Amen. But this guy in my church, I couldn't get him to get there on time. Young couple walked in, brand new couple. Man, they were looking at church. I said, wonderful, we, I hope we're the church you're looking for. I, they got two little boys here. I said, let me take them down to the Sunday school class. This was five minutes to Sunday school. That guy hadn't got there, and his assistant hadn't got there. And I took that couple, and I said, well, let me introduce you to the teacher. And we walked right in the door, and as soon as we stepped inside, I saw a, a, a junior boy go flying across the room. One of them, had took him and swung him and slung him across almost the room. He landed on the chairs, knocked them all down, And I mean, they were in a fight. They were wrestling down on the floor, punching one another. And I said, I'm sorry, the teacher's not here yet. He said, yeah, I noticed that. You know, they never came back. They never came back. Listen, I'm just saying, go beyond what you're required to do. Go beyond it. Now, that's the principle. That's the principle. Uh, I had a man in my church. I don't know why he would do this. And this is just going to be a practical message tonight. I don't know why he would do this, but every time he went on vacation, he wanted to hand me his tithe check the week before to put it in for him. I don't know why he didn't give it to somebody else or wait till he got back. And every, and you know what? He, I don't know whether he wanted me to see what he gave. I never looked at what people gave. But after three or four times, I did look at his envelope. Amen? And it didn't surprise me because I knew him well. And I'm going to just make up a figure what he was. $37.41. I knew that man so well, I knew exactly what he was doing. He was doing exactly what God told him to do. He was tithing. Right to the very penny. And I thought, looks like to me, you at least round up $38. Amen. <laughs> but you know, there's some people that are only going to do what they are have to do or supposed to do or their duty to do. And I'm telling you, he was that way. He'd only do what he had to do. And I think there's a lot of Christians, we're, we're, there's too many of us out there like that. Now, let me give you this, let me give you the principle and how it came about. Here's the principle. The Romans had made a law. Actually, they, they, they took it from the Persians who were in control before them. But they adopted the law. Here's the law. anybody. And therefore, Jesus in this verse is not even relating to the Old Testament law. He's relating to civil law. Now keep in mind, as we think about what Jesus said, the Jews hated, listen, they hated in generally all Gentiles. And they hated in particular the Romans. In fact, most of them wanted the Messiah to come back just to deal with the Roman government, throw them off their back, the oppression they felt under. So the Romans had this law, and they had this law to keep people in subjection and show who was in charge, and here was the law. The law was that anybody on an errand for the government, Roman government, could stop any Jew any time they wanted to, and make that Jew carry whatever load, luggage, whatever it was, one mile, and that Jew couldn't do anything about it. He had to do it by law. If he did not do it, hey, if he didn't do it, he would be flogged, and if he did it repeatedly, he'd be put to death. And we have records that they actually put people to death for that. So anybody, now who was the people on an errand for the government? Well, it could have been a politician, but most of the time it was a soldier, because there were so many Roman soldiers traveling from post to post, and they didn't have trains and stuff, so they had to pretty much walk, and they had to carry their duffel bag and their luggage and maybe some armor and stuff. They had a lot to carry. Well, they could stop anytime they want to. Let's say they stopped at a field, and they said, hey buddy, come out of that field and carry my luggage. Well, it didn't make any difference what that person was doing, whether they were working, it didn't make any difference if that man was on the way to his mama's funeral. That that soldier could say, I, Where are you going, son? You're going to take my luggage one mile in that direction. He had no choice. He was compelled to do it by the Roman law. He had no choice in it whatsoever. It didn't make any difference. If you were going to your wedding or going to your mama's funeral, it didn't make any difference. You were headed that way and he's headed that way. It made absolutely... No difference to that man. Now, I'm going to give you a Bible example of that law in practice in the Bible. Matthew 27, 32. You remember when Jesus was on the way to the cross? And most people believe He was carrying part of that cross, and under the load of it, He was about to stumble. You know what the Roman centurion did? He spake to one called Simon of Cyrene. And he said, Come here, buddy, and carry this cross. And he had the authority to do that under the law of Rome, he can make that Jew carry that cross, and I don't know if I don't know if uh, he understood whose cross he was carrying. But Simon carried the cross of Jesus to Mount Calvary. He had to by law. Now watch this. Can you understand why the Jews hated the Romans for doing that? They would interrupt your day. Put yourself in that picture. You're at, you're at the house, and you walk out in the yard to get get a, do something to a flower, and this soldier comes by and said, "Hey, lady." You come over here right now and carry this, this luggage for me. I, I don't know if I... I, I can't. I'm too busy. I, 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 I don't care what kind of health you're in. You get over here and try. I mean, they could demand you to do it and you had no control over it. You were compelled to do it by Roman law. Wow. Now, here's what Jesus said. Now, think about it. Here's the Jews. He's talking to them. They hate Rome. They hate that law. And Jesus said, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile. Well, they knew that law. You know what Jesus said? Why don't you go with Him too? Wait a minute. You claim to be the Messiah. You're the one we're going to trust to throw the Roman government off us. And now you're telling us we despise to go the first mile we're made to go. Why in the world would you tell us to go a second mile? Why would you do that? Well, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to give you the purpose of it right now here's the purpose of it, is found in verse 45. Now watch it. I'm telling you, it has truth here that can change your life if you'll let it. So God says, go beyond what you're required to do. Why? Verse 45. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Now, that doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't make you a child of God going the second mile. You know what it does? It shows yourself to be a child of God, a child of the Father in heaven. And what this whole purpose is, is evangelism. If you go the second mile, and you're the kind of Christian that offers to do that, you're giving testimony that you're different than the publicans and the average person in this world. You are different. And you're different in a good way. And sometimes they can't understand that. Now, before I get too far, you'll be tested on this thing. If you ever make a commitment, and uh, I remember I made a commitment when I went off to Bible college that I was going to be a second-mile Christian. I didn't use that phrase, but I said, Lord, I'm going to try to go the extra mile and do the things I'm supposed to do, and beyond that. I just determined I'd do it. Well, I'll tell you, when you determine to do that, the devil will test you. I remember I arrived in Winston-Salem. I didn't have a job, but I did have a wife and two children and uh, went to, to an interview with a man with electrical company, and, and uh, he hired me, and I was thrilled to death to have a job, and so I got in school, and I'd get out of school about 12 and go to work, and worked about 6 every day, and then go home and do my homework, and my work at school, and then back the same the routine every day, 5 days a week. And I'll never forget when he interviewed me, he said, I understand, you're a Christian. I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, you going to that Bible college over there. I said, yes, sir. Plan to do that. Yes, sir. If you can work my hours around, I'd appreciate it. He said, now, you're an honest person. I said, well, yes, sir, I try to be. He said, and uh, you don't steal and you don't cheat and you don't do that. I said, well, I certainly try not to do that as now that I'm saved especially. He said, well, I'm going to hire you because you're a Christian. He said, I've got men. It was electrical contract. He said, i got men that are stealing me blind. He said, we have these expensive tools and pipe benders and hydraulic." He said, they're stealing and I can't, I can't catch who's doing it. He said, so I'm going to put you in charge of all my tools. You'll be over the tool room and anybody comes in, they got to go through you to check them out. And you're going to keep a record of who brings takes them and who brings them back. and all." I said, yes, sir. I'll do. And he said, you're going to be honest. I said, he said, well, that's why I'm going to hire you because you're a Christian. You'll be honest. I'll never forget, I was in the office. This is like two weeks later. I'm in the office and the phone rings. And I reach over and pick it up and about time it comes off the receiver, the president of the company, the one who interviewed me, opened his office door and he said, if it's for me, I'm not here. So i got a phone in my hand and I'm fixing to answer it. And if they ask for Buddy Higgins, i got to make a decision what I'm going to tell him. He told me to tell him he wasn't here. I said, uh, Winston Electric and Heating. I need to speak to Buddy Higgins. Is he there? I said, yes, sir. Mr. Higgins is here. Let me see if he can talk to you now. And when I said that, that man who's a little shorter than me, he started turning red. I could just see it coming up his face. I mean, he was so mad with me. If, if he was stood beside me, I believe he would have punched me out. I mean, he's standing there and he's so mad, he turns around. He goes in and he slams the door so hard, secretaries come out to see what in the world is going on. And I said, I think I made him mad. <laughs> You say, what did you do? Did you just say, bless God, I don't care, I'm a Christian. No, I was scared to death, I was going to lose my job. <laughs> but I knew I did the right thing. So I went off to my prayer place, the bathroom. <laughs> and I put the lid down on the commode and I got down made that my little altar. And I said, Lord, I just got in town. I got a school bill, I got a wife, I got two children. I, you know Lord I need this job I, I don't. if he fires me I don't, you're going to have to give me another job somehow Lord I don't want him to do finally I get up off my knees I come out and the Lord impressed my heart to go talk to him I went over there and knocked on the door who is it I said sir it's Roger Baker he didn't answer me I waited a minute knocked again he didn't answer he didn't say a word and finally I knocked a third time and I thought I'm going in Now, I was scared. I I was scared as death. I thought I was going to lose my job. I opened the door, and I walked in, and as soon as he saw me, he put his head down and started writing on something, just doodling. I said, Mr. Higgins, I said, do you mind if I talk to you a moment? He didn't speak. Never looked up the whole time I was in the office. I said, sir, I'd like to talk to you if I could. He never looked up, never said a word. I walked up close to the desk. I said, Mr. Higgins... I'm sorry about that situation, but I want to talk to you about it. I said, you said you hired me because I was a Christian. You said you hired me because I would be honest. Mr. Higgins, if you don't want me to ever answer the phone again, I won't. But let me tell you something. Anybody that will lie for you will also lie to you. I said, with God's help, I'm not doing either one. So what, you want me to answer the phone or not? He wouldn't look up and wouldn't answer me. He was still red in the face. He was mad as a hornet. I said, thank you, and I walked out. That afternoon, about 5.30, secretary said, Mr. Higgins wants to see you in his office. I figured they'd had time to count up my hours, write my check. He's firing me. So I knocked on the door. He said, who is it? I said, it's Roger Baker. He said, come in. I walked in. He said, sit down there, Roger. I sat down in front of his desk. He got, to, got nervous and got to shaking. He started crying he's 50 years old by that time maybe older he started crying he said I'm sorry Roger he said you probably don't know it but I'm a Christian and then he started telling me the story of his life he got offended at a church his home church who didn't hire him to do the electrical work and he'd been out of church for 20 some years he said I grew up in church I grew up with people like B.R. Lakin and those great men of preachers in my home my mom and daddy always had them in the home when they were in our church He said, but I've not been living for God. And he sat there and wept and confessed his sin. By the way, young people, it don't always happen that way. Sometimes you get fired. (laughs) So it's time for me to go. I sat there nearly for two hours, and when I got ready to go, he said, this was in 1973, so dollars, a dollar was probably worth three back then. He said, I'm going to give you a dollar raise, an IRA raise. I said, hallelujah. I didn't say it. But I mean, I wanted to say it. I said it in my heart anyway. I'm just saying you'll be tested when you want to do what's right. And you want to go beyond what people expect of you and do better than that. So, let me give you the scenario and then I'm going to give you two more illustrations and we're, we're, going, we're going to go home early. Let me, get, let me tell you why. Why should we do these things for evangelistic purposes? Jesus said, if you'll do these things and go the second mile it'll show that you are the children of your Father who is in heaven. It'll it'll be a testimony to them. It'll it'll show them, let me tell you something, it'll show them that you're different. You're not like the publicans. You're not like the average Joe. There's something about you that's different. You see, what was the purpose? when, When God calls the Jews, the chosen people, what were they chosen for? Well, there's a lot of things. But you know one thing Isaiah makes very clear That why God called them a chosen people? They were chosen to be a witness and a light to the Gentile nations of this world. God didn't just love the Jews in the Old Testament or New Testament. He loved everybody. He wanted everybody to know Him. So I'm going to choose this nation for several reasons. Give us the Bible. Give us the, the Savior. But one thing is they're going to be a witness. And what was happening in Jesus' day, the Jews hated the Gentiles, and the Gentiles hated the Jews, And when a soldier come by and demanded something, man, they despised it so bad. Jesus is saying now, and He's talking to Jews. He said, you Jews, if you want to be a testimony and show yourself to be a true child of God, He said, you go a second mile. You go beyond what's required of you. Now here's the scenario. Here's a soldier. He's coming down the road, and there's a a Jewish man. He's working out in the field. Hey, buddy, you. Yeah, you, I'm talking to you. Come over here. I, sir, I'm I'm wor- I said, stop what you're doing and come on. He had to by law, or they'd flog him or kill him. So he comes over. Now watch the difference in these two scenarios. He comes over. He knows what this guy wants him to do, and he hates it. He hates the he hates the Romans anyway. He hates this soldier for humiliating him. He said, Sir, I might lose my job if I get out of this field. I don't care what you lose, son. Get over here and take my luggage. Pull that locker. I'm tired of pulling it myself. And off they go. And they say in that day that the Jews, because of that law, had walked off what they believed was a mile, and it was a thousand and some paces. I think it was a thousand even. So when the Jews would walk with a soldier to make sure that he couldn't say he hadn't gone a mile, they would count it out loud one, two, three. And they count it till they got to a thousand. And they would say, that's as far as I go. That guy hated that Roman soldier so bad he couldn't stand it. Finally, when he got there, he said, that's a mile and I'm through. He dropped his stuff. And I can almost see that Jewish man who was a lost man start to walk off and look back at that soldier. And he said, i tell you one thing, buddy. You better hope I don't see you after the Messiah comes. And he puts you all down. You, I see you, you're in trouble, old boy. Well, that's what they expected of those Jews. They knew they hated them. Another, another soldier's coming through town. He comes by a field and there's a Jewish man out there, young man. Hey, buddy, you come come here and take my luggage. You know by law you have to do it. Yes, sir. He comes over and he picks it up. He said, I know you don't want to do it, but you're going to take it a mile. Yes, sir, I'll be glad to do it for you. You'll be glad to do it for me, son. He'd never heard probably a Jew say that to him. So that young man takes that luggage. By the way, he's saved. He'd heard Jesus preached. And he became a believer in the Lord. And now he's a child of God. And he knows he's supposed to be a witness to these Gentiles. He starts taking the luggage. And he said, Mr. Soldier, do you mind if I ask you a question? What do you want? What do you want? He said, you have a family back home somewhere? What, what do you care about that? Well, I'm just interested in you. Walking along. You, you ever been to real battle? Well, you mean I've been to battle? See these scars here, son? He said, would you tell me some of the stories of your battles? And Man, they walk along. He doesn't count. Well, by the time they get to the mile, the boy is still talking to the man, and they go past that mile. The soldier knows they've gone more than a mile. So finally he says, all right, young man, that's far enough. I, I see another Jew over there I'll get. You can go on back home now. He said, well, sir, if it wouldn't offend you or anything, I'd like to take it another mile for you. Son, you don't have to take it but one mile. Why in the world would you ever want to take it a second mile? He said, if you'll let me take it a second mile, he said, I'll tell you. He takes that stuff and the soldier is so confused and so surprised because everybody has to take it a mile. But nobody has to take it two miles. And this young man has volunteered to take it a second mile. He said, well, sir, you asked me why I wanted to take it a second mile. You see, sir, I was out one day and I heard, have you heard of Jesus of Nazareth? Yeah, I've heard of that rabble-rouser causing a lot of trouble in the government and so forth. He said, no, sir, I'm telling you. I heard him preach. And could I tell you, he's not only the Messiah and loves us Jews, he loves you too. Ain't nobody loves me, but my wife probably. I don't even know about her sometimes. And that young man went on that second mile, never counted a step, telling him about the Lord Jesus. Now let me tell you something. I don't know if the soldier would have got saved or not, but I'll tell you one thing. The chances, and I hate to use the word chance, but the chances of that soldier getting saved multiplied by 100 because of the attitude of that young man. Now let me make an application to that. And let me, let me further explain it. The first mile in our life that we go when we're doing something for the Lord or doing something for other people, when we go that first mile, it's our duty. When we go to second mile, it's our devotion to the Lord. When we go the first mile, it's required. God requires it. Maybe law requires it. People just expect it. But when you go to second mile, it's not even required. When you go the first mile, you have no choice in the matter as a, as a, as a Jew, but when you go to second mile, you have a choice. The first mile is your obligation; you're supposed to do that, Christian. Why don't you do this and do that? God commands you to do that. But brother, let me tell you: when you go to second mile, it's not just an obligation; it's an opportunity to be a witness. First mile is a burden; second mile is a blessing. First mile, you have to do it. Second mile, you don't have to do it. First mile, you've got a smirk on your face. Second mile, you got a smile on your face. You say, preacher, what, what, you mean that we're supposed to go beyond so that people can see a difference in our lives? And you mean to tell me that I would be more apt to win people to Christ if I lived like that and had that kind of an attitude? That's exactly what God, the Lord Jesus, is trying to say right here. Now watch this. I remember before I left Calvary, and I'm through with this illustration. Before I left Calvary, I I tried to do different things to try to win people to Christ and get our people involved in evangelism. And we had good people, just like good people are here tonight. And sometimes good people just need to be motivated. You know what I'm saying? They just need to be challenged. And sometimes they need to be told how they can do it. And so I decided one summer we'd change our whole visitation program. We'd have Monday night or Tuesday night, I forgot what at that time, uh, where people meet at church, go out and visit, you know, have cards and stuff. And that was good. I said, this summer, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have what I call a walk, watch, and witness. And I told our pe- I was going to tell our people that you can do it any night of the week, you afternoon and night you want to do it. Of course, summertime, you know, it stays light longer because of daylight savings time and I said here was going to be here's going to be the principle walk watch and witness you get your family you and your children you and your teenagers you and your little ones whoever you got stroller doesn't matter if you're if you're where you live at is a little development area then you can work your own development if not just go to the nearest one down the road if you live out in the country and just go for a walk that's all you got to do I mean anybody can do that can't they I said, take your wife and family, hold her hand, take your kids and just walk down the side of the street. And while you're walking, be watching. People in the yard, people sitting on the porch. And you know the word watch is also used about being prayerful. Could you not watch for one? And so while you're you're walking, you're praying and looking for a divine appointment. And that divine appointment is somebody in one of these yards up on that porch or somewhere that you can veer off that street and go over there and meet them. Let's say you're walking and you're watching and there's an elderly couple sitting on a porch, front porch. And you and your two maybe teenage girls, you, you make the turn and walk up in the yard. You say, how you folks doing today? And you hear the old man whisper, I bet it's one of them church folks. The lady says, well, we're doing all right, I guess. Well, we're just out in the neighborhood walking, meeting our neighbors, you know, just trying to meet folks in our neighborhood. We live just down over here and so forth. And uh, you just keep walking, walk up to the porch and say, so y'all doing okay then? And the wife just lets it go, buddy. She said, let me tell you something, doing okay? No, sir, we're not the old calls her husband's name and said, John here said he had surgery about two weeks ago and he's going to be out of commission for six weeks. He's an old guy. And said, I'm just telling you, I have had so much to do waiting on him. You look at the grass. It's eight inches. I, I, I don't know. And look, how I'm ashamed of our yard, but he can't get out and mow it. And I, I can't even hardly cook waiting on him, hardly hand and foot. You know how some older folk can be pretty plain. You all know what I'm talking about. And... Uh, So she says, and I tell you, I've been wanting to wash the windows the whole summer. Uh, I was going to wash the windows this summer. Now he's going to have this surgery, and the way he's going to be out, I'm not even going to have time. I I tell you, no things are not doing all right. And, well, sir, I'm sorry to hear about your surgery. Well, everybody's got their problems. Man's not very friendly. Kind of cold. And then you, because you're there for the purpose of evangelism, and you say, well, sir, I'm so sorry to hear about your surgery, and I'm sorry to hear, ma'am, lot—you got, lot, got a lot of pressure on you. I remember my daddy had a problem like that. Boy, put a lot of pressure on my mama. But, sir, if it, wouldn't, if it wouldn't offend you, I just last week bought me a zero-turn lawnmower. I love riding that thing. I'm just, you know, I, I about got used to it, and I don't run over everything anymore. Sir, if it wouldn't offend you in any way, said, so I get off work early. I get off at 3.30 in the afternoon. If you don't mind, I'll just come over here tomorrow and mow your grass. Now, you ain't, you ain't got to do that. I don't expect nobody to give me no welfare kind of stuff. Oh, no, sir. I'm Listen, I want to learn how to use my lawnmower, but i give me another chance to use my, my new zero-turn lawnmower. And by the way, ma'am, my wife makes some of the best pot roast you've ever seen. And I got two teenage girls here. I'm trying to teach some work ethics. And if y'all wouldn't be offended by this, everybody hits some spots where they need a little help. I'll come over and mow the grass, and while I'm doing that, my wife and girls, and my wife will bring a pot roast over here, some of the best. A woman said, yeah, if it we weren't for that mill on wheels, we wouldn't have nothing right now. And he said, I'll bring a pot roast over here, and said, me and my girls will help wash your windows that you've been wanting to wash. Oh, you ain't got to do that. The wife said, let them do it, honey. Let them do it. Well, I reckon it'll be all right. I don't expect you to. No, sir, I know you don't. You didn't ask me to. I'm volunteering. I want to do it. Now, here's this guy that has very little. He doesn't have much good to say about church folks. But these church folks are going to come back tomorrow with his trailer and his lawnmower. He's going to get out and mow his grass. And while they're doing that, that wife's going to carry in that pot roast and some fixings with it. And then them two girls and that lady is going to sit there and wash all the windows inside of that house. And they're going to get through and they're going to go out and sit on the porch with the elderly couple. And, they go, and the old man's going to say, well, I appreciate it, needed. I appreciate you doing it. Do you reckon now that that, them church people right there will have a better opportunity to share Christ with that old man and that elderly lady who are both unsaved just because of their kindness to them. Sir, do you mind if I maybe have prayer with you before we leave tonight? Maybe you think it's not quite time to be pushing them much with the gospel, but and you have prayer with them, and you pray for His healing, and you thank God for the privilege of being a, getting to know them. And, sir, if you don't mind, next week I'm going to swing by and mow your grass again. Well, you know what? Yeah, let him do it, honey. And for the next two or three weeks, he mows the grass and he stands up there and talks about what that man's interested in talking. And before long, he's open to the gospel. Because there's somebody here that's different from the average Joe Blow out there. His own son wouldn't even come over and mow his grass. But here's some strangers that's befriended him. You see what I'm saying? Jesus said, if you want to have an impact in this world, you can't be average. You know what average is? Let's say you've got a, a ruler here. Ten and all the way down to zero. What's the average? Five, right in the middle. You say, well, that's all I've ever wanted to be in my life is just average. Well, you know what average is? It's the worst of the best. And it's the best of the worst. <laughs> Ain't too flattering. Jesus said, I don't want you average. I don't want you like everybody else. I want you to be different. I'm not talking about being a workaholic. I'm talking about doing things just for the purpose. Not to impress people, but to let them know that you are a child of God and you don't mind going out of your way. You don't mind being inconvenienced. You don't mind doing more than what anybody would expect of you. Let me tell you something. There's no telling what we could do for God if we became second-mile Christians in our heart and in our attitudes. I mean, listen, at church, can you imagine... Hey, listen, they needed somebody to clean the church, and you you know, so is Sister Sick, and she can't clean the church, but she's volunteered. And you have 12 people immediately say, we'll do it. Man, you knock out a church with 12 people pretty quick, amen. I'm just saying, you just go the extra mile. You know the greatest second miler that's ever lived on planet earth? Jesus Christ. You see, my friend, He already told mankind in the Garden of Eden, If you sin, you're going to die. You know what Adam and Eve did? They sinned. They sinned. They had their chance. And we in our life have had our chances before we ever got saved, but He didn't even have to give us another chance. But you know what? The Lord Jesus, He not only said, well, I'm going to give you another chance. He said, I'm going to go down there and die for you. I'm going to go down there. The Father is going to give His only Son for sinners and rebels and ungodly people, people use God's name in vain, drink liquor, run around with women, on and on we go, I'm going to die for you. I know, but I cuss you. I use your name in vain. I don't care a thing about you. I work every Sunday I can because I want to make money. I'm going down there and give that church my money. But he's the greatest second miler that's ever lived on planet earth. Because he went to the cross and all the shame involved in that. And he was pure and perfect Lamb of God. You know, if we could ever get the attitude, and by the way, it won't happen accidentally, you're going to have to say, Lord, I want to be a second mile Christian and I want to look for opportunities. I'm not trying to be boastful. I'm not trying to get anybody pat me on the back. I'm trying to get somebody saved. Somebody's going to be in heaven one day that wouldn't otherwise. And just go the second mile. Deacons, when you're looking after that widow, and their sons or their daughters want him even look after them because they're lost and don't care much, it might just be your second mile with that widow might impress that boy. Sufficient enough, it might cause him to have respect for Christians again. And it might lead to his salvation. Go the second mile, Christian. And if you'll go the second mile, you don't have to, but if you do, you'll show yourself to be the... Children of the Father in Heaven. Now I'm going to give you one verse of scripture, and when I read this, it blew my mind, and I am through. I am actually through. I want you to turn to your Bibles to Luke 17 because this, this might pop your bubble. Might pop your bubble. Don't want to pop your bubble, but it might it popped mine. And popped it for a right good while. Look at Luke 17 and verse oh, let's go down to verse number seven. Verse 7-10 through is talking about service and being a servant. And the servant is supposed to serve the master and so forth. And he said, does does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? Does a a master supposed to say, well, thank you, servant, for doing what I commanded you to do? What your duty was to do? He said, no, I, I don't think so. He said likewise Jesus said when you shall have done all those things which are commanded you. You've done them all. Listen Christian. You've done done all that God's commanded you. Say we are what? Wonderful servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. That's not what the Bible says. God said when you've done everything that's your duty what you have to do He calls us unprofitable servants. Now when I read that that popped my bubble. Because I was I was going to church three times a week. I was given a tithe. I was maybe even going on visitation or singing to, and I thought, man, I'm I'm really I'm really cruising here, boy. I'm really doing it. And I'm not telling you you gotta go into a lot of different ministries, but I'm gonna tell you. Jesus said if you only do what you're commanded to do and you have to do, you're an unprofitable servant. Well, how can I become a profitable servant? Be a second mile Christian. Be a second miler. I know pastors would like to have a one miler. <laughs> But God said be a second mile Christian. Well, who is it that you know that's lost that you could go out of your way to befriend? I'm not talking about buttonholing them. Hey, you say if you ain't going to hell now, you're going to hell, what you going to do? By the way, sometimes people need that. But they better have seen you loving them first. You better have shown some compassion to them. Who is it that you could go out of your way and do kind things for and care an apple pie you make or your specialty. Or go by some stranger's house, some old folks or something, wash their car for them, haven't been washed in six years. You know what? You'll get a better opportunity to witness to them than you can ever imagine. And people will be saved. You know why? They'll see you're different than the average person. Let's pray. Father, I pray this little simple truth here. Simple, but I believe profound. Uh, Lord, not my preaching, but the truth is that if people will go that second mile, those soldiers will listen to them. They'll have an opportunity to witness and win people to God. But as long as we just do what everybody else does, we just kind of go along, get along, and just, just coast, just be average. That's where everybody, hey, everybody's about average. But help us as Christians. Jesus is worthy of our very, very best. And for us to be inconvenience for the souls of men and women, boys and girls, Help us tonight to go that second mile. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want you to stand quietly to your feet as our pianist has come. She's going to start playing quietly on the piano.